This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Buck Sexton Show. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you here. Excited that we get to hang out the day before the election. We've obviously got a lot to talk about. There's going to be some politics today, everybody. I think we all know that's going to happen. There's no way around it. There's no way to avoid. An in-depth discussion. I mean, unless we're not going to do a new show. If I was doing a self-help show or something, that would be... You just need to believe in yourself. Uh, maybe I should do that one day, actually. That sounds like fun. But uh, for tomorrow, we got to talk a bit about what's going on in the uh, in the realm of politics. Talk a little bit about the polling, everything else going on. Got a couple of guests today. We're just going to sort of let it let it fly. Uh, I can't do what I see on, on various channels of cable news where they've... They're just parsing these polls into, into oblivion, and we're going to know tomorrow. I mean, how, how interesting could it be? Oh, you know, at Nevada, it could be up two or could be down three. I'd, I've made this point to you before, to be sure, but now it's just everybody is all in on the horse race aspect of it, and that's what people are talking about. I don't find that particularly interesting. Um, I'd rather just sort of wait and see who wins. I do find some of the stories uh, circling around the campaigns right now to be of note. And I also am a little, I get a little sad. Uh, I shouldn't say sad. That's too strong. A little disappointed that I, I neither have cable nor live in a market where there's really much in the way of political advertising. New York is safe territory for Hillary Clinton. I know Donald Trump is a native son of, of New York and, you know, grew up in Queens, New York City his whole life, very attached to the city. And and it's not going to make a dent in the uh, stalwart Democrat voting pattern in this city. I think it's two to. I think the New York City registration is two. Might even be three. I think it's three to one Democrat. Um, it's definitely at least two to one Democrat to Republican. I think it might be three to one. Uh, so he's not going to be able to win New York City that or or New York State, of course. But if you win New York City, you essentially win New York State because of the density of population. And uh, we don't get the ads, the cool ads. I'll play some for you. And when I say cool, I mean interesting, because some of them are really horrific and mean and nasty. But they're of note. They are of interest to me. And I think you'll 
Uh, you'll get a it will perk up your ears to hear some of you go, whoa, wait a second. They are not pulling any punches in this stuff. Big story, of course, as we talk about what's going to happen tomorrow. Big news story is that James Comey, FBI director, has come out as I as I thought he would. Has come out and said that there is nothing to see in these in the latest batch of emails. There's nothing to see in the Wiener emails or is there? Uh, there's not a whole lot going on, he says. This is not surprising, and it uh, it su- supports. You know, I was going to write something for theblaze.com last week on the emails, and I just realized, you know, the interesting pieces are all going to have to be, uh, or any interesting written piece after the initial release of a of the Wiener emails. Sorry, it's no way to talk about this without it sounding a little funky. Uh, after the the initial sort of moment of shock and that wore off, it was well, what's in the emails? Okay, so there's new emails and. It sort of revived the specter of emails haunting Hillary Clinton's campaign. But if the emails didn't have anything, nothing was going to happen. And everyone was concerned that this would be allowed to linger. You'll notice that it was not allowed to linger. You're hearing stories now about special software deployed by the FBI and 24-7 labor applied to this problem to make sure that there was no lingering issue about Hillary's emails before the election. 650,000 emails combed through. That's what they say. And Comey has once again gone from hero to scoundrel to hero for Democrats and the DNC. Uh, He did what I thought he was doing all along, which is to make a show of tenacity and transparency from the FBI perspective to try to regain some of the stature that was lost. And I know people say, oh, Buck, you're saying that Comey, I I wasn't jumping around talking about how Comey had uh, had saved his dignity by doing this thing with Hillary. I was kind of surprised by it. I want to see how it played out. I didn't flip-flop on that one. I've always said that standing in front of the American people over the summer, and no one really can challenge this, or no one can come up with a, a, a counterfactual, a counter-narrative that sticks. Standing in front of the American people and usurping the, in a sense, the authority of the Attorney General, or standing in place of uh, the attorney general and claiming that there should be no charge, that no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges against Hillary Clinton. That was the political act. Everything since then has just been damage control for the FBI, as we see. So this was, in fact, an effort, I think, to try and regain some stature for the FBI. And you'll notice that all the stories you were hearing last week about how uh, the FBI is overrun with Republican operatives and it's anti-Hillary turf and there are all these resignations. And I, I find those all in- incredibly hard to believe now. I found them pretty hard to believe then, although we had to report on them because that's what was being reported. But anytime you get into this realm of single source, anonymous sourcing, uh, people that won't be named but claim to have direct access to the investigation, very few people in the FBI would have really known much of anything about the email investigation. Very few. Other than those, other than those who were in fact themselves doing the investigative work, or very senior people, and very senior people are not are not generally speaking on record about how the FBI is in terrible, terrible shape and it's looking really bad and leadership sucks. You tend not to have leaders going on going on with uh, journalists even off the record talking about how leadership sucks. Unlikely that's going to happen, or that did happen. 
So I think you can look back now if you're curious about this and see a lot of what was being said and a lot of the reporting and say to yourself, okay, well, so that was just just a big propaganda war. And journalists uh, with books to sell or with names that they're trying to get out there more, given that it's been a pretty weird election cycle for a lot of us, were just saying, oh, well, I've got a source in the FBI who says X or I've got a source in the FBI who says Y. You can never check this stuff. I don't do that. I could play that game a lot more than I do. Um, one, I don't like to ever put people in a position where I would ask a friend a, a question that professionally would make them uncomfortable. So I just I, I just don't do it. Uh, and also, I, I find it uh, far too convenient much of the time that people that want to get on, name your cable TV channel and talk about their sources. And my sources inside whatever tell you what the dominant meme right now on uh, in on the right in social media is it it happens to solidify that narrative isn't that convenient what a shock what a shock um, but so here we are the FBI has said there's nothing seen as emails we can't find that surprising because what were they as I said to you last week unless there was uh, smoking gun evidence of some kind of a cover up which I don't think, and even then, I, I don't know if that changes anything. I, people were telling me that they really believe that dump means to publicly share. I mean, yeah, you can have sometimes an email, you know, you'll talk about a Friday document dump, but from what I was reading with Podesta, uh, to me, it seemed pretty clear he meant, you know, you got you to get rid of them because how could he want to get ahead of it by releasing all these emails to the public without knowing what he didn't know what was in every Clinton email? That's crazy. He wouldn't do that. I would think. And that's not what they did either. So they so they even if you give Podesta the benefit of the doubt with the dump issue, uh, somehow his advice, his advice was not just ignored, but they went in the complete opposite direction. But you see, here's what we know. And here's what we knew before the Wiener emails were unleashed on the public. I'm not trying to make this sound weird. It's just every time you start talking about Anthony Wiener now, you, you go down a path, whether you you want to or not, the, the double entendre. Uh, are thick. Uh, oh, God. Anyway, pardon me. So, yeah. So, uh, where were we? We were talking about... I can't believe I just walked into that one. Uh, we were... We were t- <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, yes. So, they already have classified. They've already found uh, classified in the emails. And they did nothing. They said that it was not... It was an unintentional. And so, therefore... Not a standard that will be used for any other national security investigations, by the way. Uh, we might have someone on later in the week, I think, who'll talk to us about how he intends to use that defense. I think that defense will be... Uh, will, I, I think the feds will, won't... Not only will they not accept that as a defense for non-Clintons, they're going to make a... Uh, an exa- they're going to make examples of people, just like the Obama administration, with more Espionage Act prosecutions than every other president before Obama combined, you got to you got to keep that in mind always about this. Obama was sending a very clear message. The Democrat establishment in the White House and around it was sending a very clear message: we can leak, we can play games, we can play politics. Anybody else tries that crap, they're going to prison forever and their life is ruined. That was the message they were sending. Leaks happen all the time. Leaks happen from the top of DIA, CIA, DOD, ABCDEFG, you name it. They happen all the time from the top, and they're often blessed, but not officially blessed, meaning that the people who are powerful know, and they know they'll cover each other, and it's okay, 
but it won't be sort of an on-the-record situation necessarily. They just want certain information out in the public. There's two sets of rules. One of the most important takeaways I think we have from the entire election is that there are, in fact, two sets of rules, and the system is rigged. And Clinton stand atop the rigged system. And they do so in such a brazen fashion that it's hard to imagine there's anything at this point that could shame them out of the public's eyes, could dramatically change their fortunes. The Clintons have become impervious to shame. That's quite a thing. That's quite a skill. They've been there for a while, but we've seen it really is. They are invulnerable to uh, indignity. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing that can sort of uh, be too much for them. There's nothing that's too obvious, nothing that's too blatant. Whether it's Bill's uh, assaults on women in the past, his flights on the pedophile plane or p- to pedophile island on the, on the Epstein plane, or you know, it doesn't matter. Hillary lying about the email server, Hillary lying about this and that. Chelsea allegedly now perhaps having the Clinton Foundation pay for her wedding. I don't think, there's never enough money for these people. And they really, in, they really seem to get a special joy out of breaking the rules and being above them. Uh, I think there's a sort of strange, deviant desire that they have to find ways to do things that are illicit, even when it's just they don't have to. It's like I, I mentioned before about, about Hillary. She reminds me of some of these kleptomaniac celebrities that are, are, are multimillionaires, but they want to go steal a $200 sweater or something and, and get caught. You know, I mean, Hillary... Hillary, I think, likes to do things that are that are illicit, that are illegal, that break the rules and and do it so brazenly, so publicly, so obviously, knowing that she's invulnerable. I think that's sort of the the Clinton spin on all of this stuff. Back to Comey for a second. There was nothing we were going to find in those emails that was going to change. When I say nothing, I was ninety nine point nine percent sure that we would not find out anything especially new or interesting in those emails. Comey came out and did this because it's a big show of how nonpartisan the FBI is. When they've got the information that hurts Hillary, they'll let it go. When they've got the information that clears Hillary, they'll let it go. All of that is moot. The reality is that the FBI director decided to help out the very politicized attorney general and go on TV and say that no charges should, no prosecutor would bring charges. A comment that, no prosecutor who's being honest and forthright would really make in that situation. Because how would you know? You're going to speak for James Comey speaks for he's an FBI director. Now he speaks for all prosecutors. Isn't that interesting? So the email situation's over with, by the way, just in time for a little bump for Hillary's campaign, isn't it? The timing matters a whole lot. Uh, the race is less close today than it was on Friday, based on everything we can see and hear just in time for everybody to go to the polls tomorrow. We got more here. We got a lot more. So stay with me. I do want to also hear your take on what's happening. Um, I want to sort of give you my general view. Of I'm actually in a good mood today, even though the election's happening tomorrow, and I find this to be a deeply dispiriting and depressing election. Uh, I'm in a good mood today because it's almost over, and we're going to know. And you know what? We're going to be fine. We are going to be fine either way. I'll sort of expand on this a little bit on the other side of the break, but it's going to be all right. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be good, but it's going to be all right. That I I think I can say at this point. And we are finally going to be out from under this. The uncertainty 
in many ways. The worry itself about this impending election, I think, has in, in some ways become worse than, than, the elect, than the election result either way. So I'm glad that it will be over. I'm glad that it will be done. And we're almost there. And it's a beautiful day. And I think much of the country is having kind of a beautiful day from what I saw in the weather, except for Alaska. Sorry, Alaska. But everyone else is having good weather. So it's a good day. Sponsor this half hour is Yankee Hill Machine. If you go to YHM.net, I'm there right now. You will see exactly what I am talking about. Yankee Hill Machine makes some of the best sound suppressors, some of the best pistol suppressors, rimfire suppressors, rifle suppressors. You name it, they've got it. They've got top-end firearms. They've got complete rifles, AR pistols, uh, top-ends, receivers. They've got all the gear you could possibly need. They've even got a section at YHM.net on closeout specials. They sell barrels, accessories. They've got some fantastic new products that you should check out. And I'm telling you, when you click on the rifles and you see the quality they have here, when you see the, the complete rifle section, the Yankee Hill Machine, you're going to be like, wow, these guys really know what they're doing. And they are producing fantastic high-end stuff. They're doing it all up here in Massachusetts. It's all made in America. This is a family-owned business. They're great guys. Uh, Chris and Kevin Graham, I've been out shooting with them before. They really love what they do, and it shows. So go to YHM.net. Again, Yankee Hill Machine, sponsoring the show this half hour. Great to have them on. Go to YHM.net, YHM.net, and we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. Well, the Trump himself weighed in on the email situation. Let's hear it. Clip eight. Right now, she is being protected by a rigged system. It's a totally rigged system. I've been saying it for a long time. You can't review 650,000 new emails in eight days. You can't do it, folks. You can't review 650,000 new emails in a day. I mean, you can if you're doing it through keyword searches. But uh, I think we know from the fact that they're doing keyword searches, well, how can you do a corruption investigation that's based on keyword searches? You can't. If you're only looking for classified material, you're probably not going to find much that says marked classified, right? So as we've had that discussion before, they definitely weren't manually reviewing 650,000 emails. So what does that even mean? They were looking for classified. 
It doesn't matter how much classified. They, if they had found 100 more emails that were classified, would they have changed? How would that be any different? We wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to know the level of classification of them. And they'd have to go through some kind of a review process. What, what is the originating agency of the information? And you know, who is the original classif- uh, classifying authority? They go through all that stuff. Okay, you have 100 more classified emails in there, let's say. She already had, I think, 103 was the number of, of re- legit classified stuff on her server. You got 100 more. Does that change anything? Changes nothing. So in a sense, Comey's decision was already, uh, already baked into this. Or Comey's statement that they got through all of this so quickly just shows you that they're willing to rush through the process because I think the pressure brought to bear on the FBI to make sure that, I mean, think of the timeline we're talking about here, folks, to get the government to work this quickly on anything, anything, it's practically impossible. The pressure that was brought to bear on the FBI to make sure that we knew, or rather we were told, before Americans go to the polling uh, places across the country, I know there's early voting and stuff, but you know most voting still happens on Election Day. The pressure that was brought to bear, uh, I'm sure, was monumental. I'm sure it was tremendous, huge even. And the decision was made that they would come out and tell the American people that there was nothing to see in the emails before the election. So for some, I guess the FBI looks like they're crossing their T's and dotting their I's. To me, this is just an effort to try to regain the center on this. And it wasn't going to change anything anyway. So whether they looked at this 630,000 by hand or not, how quickly it happened or didn't happen, the moment they decided that Hillary Clinton got to live by a different set of laws than the rest of the American people, Hillary and her top aides, uh, this was all over. And so all that really mattered was the initial Comey statement, the initial decision made over the summer. All right, let's talk about how nasty this election's getting in just a few. The Bug Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Interesting, isn't it, that not only did it not matter what the FBI discovered in Hillary's emails, it didn't really matter what we learned about Hillary during the entire election cycle. I mean, I know I'm talking about this like it's all over and we we know how it how it has uh, shaken out, how it will shake out. And and I don't I don't pretend I, I gosh, I don't know. You look at the polls. I've got Hillary up. Latest Fox poll, I think, uh, shows Hillary up three. So if the polling is accurate, she'll win. Maybe the polls. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Four point lead. Clinton jumps out to a four point U.S. lead, according to the latest Fox News poll. That seems pretty substantial. So if polling is accurate, she's going to win. If it's not, he's going to win. So we'll see. Uh, But one thing I think has become very clear all throughout this. It didn't matter what we found out about. Oh, actually, I should say two things. Well, there's a lot of things, but two things that are on my mind right now. And again, I'm actually happy. I'm in a good mood today. Uh, the election, uh, the election is going to be over soon. Uh, the the GOP civil war, such as it is, will at least, if not end, go into a kind of new phase, one way or the other. Uh, if Clinton wins, I don't, I don't see, I don't foresee the continued. Uh, how do I put this? 
the, the continued bozo fest of uh, Trumpers going out on TV and representing the Republican Party. I don't see that happening because they're really, for the most part, not true in all cases, but much of the much of the pro-Trump uh, intelligentsia is certainly unworthy of the name intelligentsia and probably doesn't know what intelligentsia means. So that's they probably don't know, I should say. Uh, that's the way I see it happening. If if Clinton wins, if Trump wins, I, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what we do. I don't know how that we try to make him the best president we can, and we celebrate that Hillary's lost. I'm rooting for a Hillary loss. That's the most accurate way I could put it. If I were walking around, if I had to make a T-shirt right now about how I feel about this election, it would be hoping Hillary loses. I know that's kind of a strange way in some of your minds to approach it, but that's how I'm. I'm hoping Hillary loses. If Gary Johnson, through some sort of a miracle of all miracles, were to be the president, I'd be like, meh, I got what I wanted, Hillary lost. Do I think that would be good for the country overall? Eh, better than Hillary being president. Am I a Gary Johnson fan? No, I am not. Um, am I a Evan McMullen fan? I, I, I respect Evan McMullen. He's not going to be president. But if by some, there is that path, right? I think it's, you get to 269 and 269 and I don't know, something like that. If Evan can win, that means Hillary loses, I'm happy. If Hillary loses, I get what I want. If that means that anybody, any other, any other person out there becomes president, other than Tim Kaine. I actually think Tim Kaine might be more annoying than Hillary in some ways, but I'm not a Tim Kaine person uh, at all. At all. I would take Biden over Tim Kaine. At, at least Biden has that sort of, uh, you know, that sort of grinning faux charm politico thing going on uh tim kane is just i mean he is as fun as a wet fart i mean that guy is no good so uh, anyway i do not i do not approve i do not approve um where was i uh oh yeah so i i think if hillary wins tomorrow things for the republican party become uh, a little bit you know they become a little bit more clear uh, if Trump wins, it'll be a little more difficult. But the, okay, so that's one part of it. the other part of it was that if if Hillary, uh, or rather, what we've seen with Hillary throughout the entirety of the campaign is that it doesn't matter uh, what for for Democrats they didn't really care. And when I say I look, you're, I'm speaking in generalities, but tens of millions of people. So obviously, I'm sure you've got friends who are very and family members and spouses who are very thoughtful Democrats who agree with you that Hillary and I know some of them too. But the overall Democrat base uh, weren't holding their noses they, they weren't having a tough time they weren't making a public show of uh they were, weren't making a sort of public show of trying to compensate for the gross feelings they were having about supporting their candidate because hillary's a, a democrat in good standing with the dnc she's a democrat in good standing with the various Identity groups that make up the sort of core base of the DNC, you know, the various uh, sort of minority interest groups out there, uh, illegal immigrants really like her, uh, other core Democrat constituencies, good NARAL, pro-choice America, uh, Planned Parenthood, very big in Hillary Clinton. You look at what they are, uh, you, you look at how she is viewed by those entities that are the, the sort of institutional core of the Democrat Party. And. They all like her, so they're all fine with it. It didn't really matter. The emails, the, the record, none of that really matters very much. 
just sort of voting Democrat to vote Democrat. And I know you could say the same thing. You say, well, Buck, look at how many Republicans that weren't supporting Trump now will report him uh, now will support him over Hillary. I say, I, I totally understand that. But there's been a tremendous amount of uh, uh, tension and fight infighting among Republicans over the need to support Donald Trump. And with the Democrats, it was like Bernie Sanders was just absorbed into Hillary's campaign for the most part. I mean, you do not see there was not a never there's not a never Hillary movement within the Democrats. That's the easy. It's a quick way of saying it. There's not a never Hillary movement of Democrats. And there is clearly a never a never Trump movement within the Republican Party. And I do think that that says something worthwhile. I think that says something that we must take note of. I think that the Republican Party is built on a set of ideas and principles. Uh, I think that you could say that those ideas and principles are rarely lived up to by Republican politicians. I think the party has let down the base uh, in many instances. I also think that some of the louder voices within the broader Republican tent have spent a lot of time tearing down the Republican Party and saying how how ineffect, ineffective it is and worthless it is. And this year turned around and all of a sudden they want to tell us that Oh, no. I mean, we were just kidding. Trump is terrible. We need to do something else. We can't respect the uh, the sort of the way that the the Republican Party operates on this issue. It's like, well, you said that we shouldn't respect. It. We said that it's been terrible. You've also seen many in the media ca- uh, claiming that the destruction of or I should say the uh, destructive rhetoric around a whole bunch of institutions in this country, whether it's the media or the FBI or any number of any number of sort of edifices of contemporary America have come under a character assault. They've come under under a barrage of criticism that undermines the very essence of what it is that these institutions stand for. Is it FBI, media? I mean, in the media, we've always sort of known, but now it's it's not just we're looking at the product and, and analyzing it and saying there's bias. We're reading the emails that are like, yeah, we're biased. Yeah, we do play dirty. Yeah, we do stack the deck. So it's become uh, not a question of analysis, but just a question of evidence. We have it now, thanks to WikiLeaks. Did, did not get a whole lot of did not get a whole lot of interesting information from uh, conservative media on Clinton and, and Hillary uh, during the during the general election campaign. Like I maybe I'm missing some stuff. I mean, you had Schweitzer with Clinton Cash, great book, very interesting. I've read it. I recommend you all read it. As well, it's still even no matter what happens in the election, you should read it. Just the, the fact that this woman is so close to being president, never mind may win the presidency tomorrow, is should give us all some some considerable pause, I think. Uh, but we've seen that we've seen what the Democratic Party stands for, and what Democrats will go along with in a, in a way that I find I find troubling. Uh, I, I do think, for example, that you could get a you could get enough Republicans if Trump won and was the maniac that some are pretending he's going to be. I think you could get some Republicans to go a, a considerable chunk of the GOP to join with Democrats and uh, both at the political level and sort of at just the, the general discussion level push for impeachment and removal of a president of a President Trump. You'll never get impeachment and removal of President Hillary Clinton. It's never going to happen. I just, I just don't. Maybe impeachment in the House. I shouldn't say that because it depends on the votes we're talking about here. But you're never going to have. Republicans in this, I mean, uh, Democrats in the Senate go along with removing Hillary Clinton from office and the Democrat base would never would never accept it. They would never say, yeah, we've got to we've got to make we've got to make amends here and have a sort of house cleaning of what the Democratic Party stands for 
Democratic Party stands for a coalition of interest groups that are opposed to the Republican Party and that see their main uh, their main goal as the acquisition and instrumentalization, uh, the utilization of power uh, for ends that are spelled out by all these different little groups that make up this sort of coalition of interest groups that make up the Democratic Party. And the only thing they all agree in is the government should be bigger, the government should do more, there should be more government. And we should control the government. If you sign on to that and you want some stuff as a result of it, well, then you're pretty much you're, you're in good keeping. You're in good standing with the Democratic Party. And that Hillary Clinton is so corrupt that she would make many third world dictators blush, I think, with some of her activities. That uh, doesn't matter. It didn't matter all along. You know, it's new stuff that's coming out, uh, the new things, you know, Chelsea Clinton, who is really looks terrible based on what we're finding out in these WikiLeaks emails. Um, but Chelsea Clinton's out there and she's somebody who is representative, I think, in many ways of the sort of the, the ultimate spoiled child of the elites and somebody who gives lectures based on what I'm supposed to be impressed by degrees. She, she could Chelsea Clinton would graduate from Stanford and, and wherever else she went to get her degrees if she could barely read based on who she is. These schools would take her based on her last name and would push her through. I know this. I have friends that have been on the admissions committees of some of the more elite universities in the country, and they are, when it comes for celebrities and, and very important uh, sort of American dynasties, especially a political dynasty like the Clintons, they will bend all kinds of rules. They'll do whatever they have to do. And then she gives lectures to people and, and gets paid to do it. I just It's just too much for me. And people that are around her see her as entitled and whiny, and, and I'm sure that that's the case. I don't know her, but it doesn't sound good to me. Does not sound good at all. Uh, but that didn't matter. None of it mattered. Nothing we learned about Hillary mattered. It, it doesn't change anything. It's all been one big function of, uh, or one big battle of, is Trump the most vile, terrible human being ever? Uh, if you vote for him, are you a terrible person? And can they convince enough people of that that Hillary Clinton wins? Because her core, her core voting base was never going to leave her. I mean, she had... 40% to 45% of the American people voting for her no matter what. No matter what. Didn't matter one bit. And tomorrow we'll find out if she has, you know, 51% or 55% of the American people that were convinced in one way or another to vote for her no matter what. I, I want to play, by the way, a couple of ads. I mentioned that before, and I, I want to get to them because some of them are, wow. Uh, there, there are no lines right now. They are doing anything. I mean, it is. this is just... This is the this is the part of WrestleMania where they're grabbing the metal chairs and they're pulling people out of the stands and, you know, guys are jumping off the top buckle and they're slamming people's heads onto the tables outside where the referees. Are. I mean, it's just uh, just pandemonium. It's pandemonium right now. Uh, I'm sure on both sides, but some of the Hillary stuff is great. We'll get into it. Oh, uh, by the way, what do you think? Election tomorrow. Come on, team. Want to hear your thoughts? 888-900-3393. You're going to be relieved. You're going to be happy. You're going to be proud of your vote. You finally come to what conclusion? I mean, now it's it's game time. It's it's choosing time, everybody. Got to make your decision. So what do you think? 888-900-3393. It's the day before the election, everybody. We've got a lot more. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.
listening to The Buck Sexton Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Some of the ads, team, that are out there right now are just, just bonkers. Here's one that's being run, as I understand it. I saw this retweeted from uh, one of the editors, I think, at the Weekly Standard, who said that a friend of his sent it to him down in Florida, making a lot of, making a lot of the rounds in Florida. Play clip one. This is an anti-Trump ad. you got to listen to this one because this is pretty... Pretty heavy stuff. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of the Jews entering the United States. They just cha- they, they, they changed out the word with Muslims with the Jews and they're running that in Florida and they're saying they're doing it to illustrate a point. But, you know, what you hear is, I mean, they're they're spl- they're this is unbelievable when you think about it. This would be like. Uh, making some, you can make somebody say anything. They they pulled together different soundbites. They actually uh, intentionally created a soundbite that is not real. And they're saying they're doing it to make a point, but no, they're doing it because they they just want to play Donald Trump saying we're going to ban the Jews from this country. That's what they're doing in Florida. These are the kind of ads they're running. Other ads are about how he's going to nuke the world. This is an ad in Ohio. Another ad, Ohio and Florida are everything for Trump, by the way. Without Ohio and Florida, he's donezo, finito. Even the most hardcore Trumper would have to admit it. He's done. This is what they're running in Ohio. Play clip two. One nuclear bomb can kill a million people. That's more than all the men, women, and children living in Columbus, Ohio. They're hearing a guy running for president of the United States talking of maybe using nuclear weapons. Nobody wants to hear that well, about then, an American then president. Why are we making them? Why do we make them? Why do we make them? Why do we make them? Yeah. Vote for Hillary or else Trump's going to nuke the world. I mean, this is the kind of stuff. The, the, these are the ads that people are putting out there. These are packs, by the way. These aren't like ads that have been created by somebody who's just sort of bored. I mean, these are political action committees. I assume they're, they've raised money. They've spent some money on these, and they're running. I mean, they must be spending money because they're running them on, on the airwaves. A million people, more people than live in Columbus, Ohio. I mean, yeah, you really, does people, do people really think Trump's going to nuke? He's going to nuke people for no reason? I mean, also, our military wouldn't. I know Trump said the thing about, he said some bad stuff about uh, giving military orders, but. Whatever. Hillary is vile. I'm, I want Hillary to lose. All right. I know. Maybe I've turned into Ahab and this is a white whale situation and I just I can't give it up with the Clinton machine. And I just. Yeah, I know. I know. But the Clinton machine might be my white whale. But at least I admit it. I want Hillary to lose. I want her to lose. And these ads that they're running right now are crazy. Team Hour 2 coming up. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome to hour two today in the Freedom Hub. We got the election tomorrow. We've got phone lines open eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. I see them lighting up. If you're on hold, please stay with us. Got some spots if you want to call in. First, we are joined by our guest Matt Continetti. He is the editor in chief of the Washington Free Beacon. His latest on FreeBeacon.com. The next Republican agenda. Matt, great to have you as always. Thanks for coming back. 
Thanks for having me, Buck. Uh, so I want to talk about your piece. Very interesting stuff that ties directly in the election. But if I could first, just kind of your thoughts, broad stroke, from the gut, going into tomorrow. What are you thinking? What are you feeling, Matt? Well, I think Hillary Clinton has an edge. and uh, But there's still an outside chance that Donald Trump could uh, surprise us all and win the election. Um, I think Florida and Nevada are tighter than most people say. Um, or at least most people in the media believe. And then if he's able to win those two and hold North Carolina, which also seems like it's 50-50 jump ball at this point, uh, as well as Ohio, then he needs to pick up basically uh, one other state. So there's a chance, but uh, it's not as good a chance as Hillary's. And what do you think about uh, the, the Comey sort of the, the, the Comey whiplash that is occurring right now, right? Last week, he was a, a scoundrel. Uh, he's clearly you know, got a tattoo of the GOP somewhere on his body. And now it's, oh, no, he's okay. All right, he got rid of it. That's, that's much better. Right, which is a reversion to what the Democrats and the Hillary team said about him back in July when he uh, closed the investigation uh, into her emails in the first place. Well, I don't know what was behind this latest message that kind of just dropped in the middle of the last weekend before the election without much publicity. I mean, it's not quite as, I don't think its impact is n- nearly as great as the impact of his previous announcement uh, Friday ago, where he said that he had to re- reopen the investigation in light of these new emails. That announcement may have actually saved uh, the Senate for the, for the Republican Party, uh, because the Senate, too, is also, it seems, a, a very, basically a jump ball. Uh, going into election day. All right, let's talk about your your piece, which I, I think does have some very direct connections into sort of what's happened throughout the whole election. I, I want to let you frame this a little bit because you know this is uh, these are your ideas, but also your your building on on this individual, Mr. Uh, Edward Conard. Uh, tell us a bit about the next Republican agenda and how there is something to this dissatisfaction that the sort of those who adhere to a populist. Uh, the populist wing of the Republican Party, or whatever we want to call it, do have a conflict with the sort of free market, entrepreneurial, you know, rising tide, lift all boats uh, folks who are the sort of more Republican elites or more Republican intelligentsia, whatever we want to call them. Well, right. Well, uh, my my latest column on freebeacon.com, Buck, is about uh, Ed Kennard, who is um, basically a former business partner of Mitt Romney's. Uh, who retired from private equity uh, about uh, eight years ago and went into writing books and speaking about politics and economics. And I learned this past week that he gave a very interesting speech at a summit that Mitt Romney held earlier in the summer uh, in in Utah. And what Kennard had to say uh, shocked a lot of the attendees, many of whom, like Romney, are very wealthy, um, you know, traditional Republicans, pro-business um, certainly not populist. But Kennard basically said uh, to this crowd that, that the disruption in the economy that uh, people like Mitt Romney and, say, Meg Whitman benefit from and are excited about is exactly what de- deprives people of uh, livelihoods or, or uh, incentivizes them to drop out of the workforce and also promotes uh, candidacies like Donald Trump's very populist candidacy, very anti-globalization candidacy. So what Kennard said is, we need to start thinking, we in this case meaning the Republican elite, how do we do something to uh, address these voters while also 
keeping alive the flame of, um, of markets and free enterprise in the more traditional uh, Republican stance. Well, the, the, the grievance that uh, that was seized upon, and one, one of the main areas is when, tra- when Trump talks about trade agreements, uh, and, and people show up at the rallies and they're very upset and uh, they're not individuals who uh, necessarily, I think we could say, and uh, you know, not to overgeneralize, but have spent a lot of time studying economic theory, but they don't have to. And these are just voters. These are Americans. What they know is that the plant in their town or the, the, the sort of uh, industrial business that was employing large numbers of individuals in many cases, perhaps even years or, or maybe decades ago, left and there was no replacement. I mean, the, the idea that we're sort of often sold on is that there will be, you know, th- that something else will always come into play and there will be jobs that replace the jobs that were lost. And that hasn't really happened for people. And it's not happening the way that it's uh, that's been promised to and in an information based economy. Increasingly, the difference between the skilled and unskilled is is that that difference in terms of wages is getting much larger and the Republican Party doesn't really address. I mean, telling people to sort of pull themselves up by their bootstraps and everything will be fine. Just work hard, play right, and everything will, you know, you'll live the American dream. Uh, there's a lot of frustration with that. And I think what, what you point out in the, in the, and what Conard points out as well here is that there is reason for that frustration. That's not actually a mirage that's been conjured in the bowels of, of you know, GOP uh, strategists' minds or something. Sure, you see it everywhere. And you also remember you see it um, in this diversity explosion which is uh, the phrase that the Brookings Institution demographer William Fry uses. Um, Immigration has surged since the turn of the 21st century. And many of those immigrants have jobs, but they've also transformed communities. And so if you lose your job and yet you see new arrivals to this country getting jobs, uh, you're going to wonder what happened. And so Kennard says it's time to think of bargains here. It's time to, re, to approach uh, the trade issue a little bit differently than the Republicans have since 1992. Um, and it's also time to think about a new approach to immigration, one that prioritizes high-skilled immigrants who would basically be risk-takers, who would create new enterprises for Americans to, to work in, but while minimizing the influx of low-skilled labor. Uh, which just leads to some effect on what you know downward effect on wages and this increased uh, competition and anxiety among voters who don't have a lot to turn on um, in the uh, to hold on to in the information economy so these are interesting ideas that I think deserve a hearing as we move into the post-election moment and start discussing what's next for the conservative movement What's next for the GOP? So you and you offer this up regardless of who wins, I assume. right? This is where you think the GOP sure. should go, whether Trump is at its head or Trump is perhaps an afterthought. Look, I mean, Trump has been successful in some ways, and we'll see what the actual final numbers are. But uh, like I said, I think he has a 30 percent. That's not just me. I mean, I'm just basing my uh, my reporting is on uh, Nate Silver and the statisticians there. If he has a 30% chance to win tomorrow, that's higher than Mitt Romney had. You know, it's higher than John McCain had. And so why is that? Well, it's because he clearly struck a chord uh, among a group of people. He's driven other people away. And so any successful Republican Party, if Trump loses, is going to find it. Even if Trump wins and he wants to win re-election four years from now, he'd have to strike some sort of balance. You have to figure out, well, how do you retain the people that, Trump has energized while also appealing to the outside. 
the groups that he's driven away. And that's a very hard thing to do. And it's, it's a bind that the Republican Party has been caught in. I think new thinking on economic issues like like trade and immigration uh, is crucial. Um, because, by the way, a lot of the voters, you take uh, Hispanic voters, for example. Hispanic voters, uh, I mean, they don't like Trump personally. That's clear because they feel like he's offended them. Um, but, you know, the truth is the Hispanic voters' majority are Democrats anyway, uh, mainly because, as David Pluff put it after the 2012 election, they're liberal on economic issues. Well, the truth is if a Republican Party uh, wanted to appeal to Hispanic voters, the Republicans think, oh, well, we just have to offer amnesty. No, that's not it at all. You have to rethink your economic plans. And you need to rethink them in a way that says, oh, you know what, we do have a fair – we have a good deal for workers while also creating um, – a climate of enterprise in the United States. And that's exactly what Kennard is talking about. He's saying, well, you know, if we become more aggressive in our trade negotiations if, in terms of protecting American industries and balancing trade, and if we do this immigration reform that would try to clamp down on low-skilled migration in favor of really recruiting and keeping the best high-skilled talent from overseas, because those are the people who are going to create jobs and businesses, we also need to incentivize risk-taking. That's the other big constraint he sees in our economy today. We're not taking enough risks. And so he suggested we do that by some type of corporate business tax reform. It's actually uh, gestured at in, in some of Trump's economic plans. You create a tax reform that would get uh, incentivized companies to, to come back to the United States and to um, repatriate all those dollars they have holed up uh, overseas and such. So Isn't that something else we, should, we should be willing to want? When we're talking about immigration, we talk about often uh, sort of high-skilled immigration, and, and this is a discussion the GOP should have been having for, for a long time. And, and there, there is, I think, some credit to be given to Trump, whether, whether you know, it was intentional or not. There is some credit to be given uh, for changing the way the GOP discusses this. Uh, and, and, you know, for people that I know who are libertarians speak about how, how open borders comes without consequences. I, I think that there's been more of a – a more of a spotlight put on that than in, in previous years. And, and I think that that uh, would withstand less scrutiny, uh, no matter where you sort of fall within the GOP spectrum, uh, the more you look at it. But uh, even bringing capital into the country would seem to be something that w- people wouldn't talk about that in the past. There are some countries where that's just considered the assets you bring are a major asset if you're going to be an immigrant. Right? If you can actually bring cash with you, we're in a globalized economy. We should bring wealthy immigrants here, too. They, I mean, we talk about starting businesses, and we like this sort of story of the immigrant who builds uh, Google in his uh, in his garage. But an immigrant who can come here and actually build a new plant and do something is even better in some ways. I mean, not than Google necessarily, but then somebody who's just coming with ideas and hard work. Right. I mean, there's a difference um, between just, uh, you know, we actually have quite a few wealthy immigrants or migrants or investors in the country right now, mainly Chinese and Russians who park their money here because they're f- fearful of the political climate in their yeah, own this is the, Most of the super yeah, high-end apartments in New York City, it feels like, are just right. uh, essentially well, we, parking lots for cash from China, Russia, and a few other countries. But yeah. Right. And then the, the Saudis, for example. What, what we need, Kennard would say, I think, is we need to get the very smart Chinese, Russian, Saudi student or engineer because when they're here and they have the incentive to take risks, we have this, what he said is just limitless capital, investment capital right now. But it's searching for investments. It doesn't have, um, it doesn't have opportunities to invest because of the constraints in our economy, which is a lack of well-trained talent and then, a, again, a lack of risk-taking. And so you get 
um, the, you know, we have plenty of students already here. So if you said, you know what, uh, as part of this deal where we crack down on illegal immigration, we're going to let this brilliant Chinese physicist stay in the United States as a resident and see what he comes up with, then that would that would create innovation and new technologies that would help grow jobs. And since you have a smaller overall labor, labor pool, maybe pick up wages on uh, on the on the back end. So that's kind of the bargain that he's that he's gesturing towards in, in his remarks. Matt Cotnetti is the editor in chief of the Washington Free Beacon. You can read his latest, The Next Republican Agenda on freebeacon.com. And also please follow Matt on Twitter. Great to have you, sir. Happy Election Day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Buck. Uh, 888 team. If you can hold, we'll get your calls right after this break and uh, light up those lines. I want to hear your thoughts going into the election tomorrow. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Are you excited to get in line tomorrow and uh, pull the lever for somebody? Are some of you staying home? Are some of you just going to vote down ballot? I'm kind of curious. I want to know where the team is on all this. Sponsor this half hour is SoundsOfShop.com. SoundsOfShop offers the best experience, period, for buying a silencer anywhere. SoundsOfShop has friendly and knowledgeable staff. They're always available to help or answer questions, and you can trust that Silencer Shop knows what they're doing because they process quickly and correctly more of these forms to get a silencer than anybody else in the country by a huge margin. A silencer is a must-have accessory for your, uh, accessory for your firearm. It makes shooting more enjoyable, and it reduces the blast to a much more comfortable level. So buying from SilencerShop.com is the experience that you're going to want to have. Oh, and by the way, it's just like buying local since your local dealer is setting the price and making the profit. So you can get the best price and know you're supporting local business. So check it out. SilencerShop.com. Again, SilencerShop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Show. All right, team, we got some calls coming in. 888-900-3393. Scott in Columbus, Ohio. What do you got for us, Scott? Thanks for taking my call. Long-time listener, first time calling into your show. Great. Thank you for um, calling in, buddy. Shields High, what's up? Hey, well, uh, you know, I heard your 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 question, you know, am I, you know about voting. And, and I actually, I voted uh, early uh, yesterday in Columbus, Ohio. And at least for president, I didn't select anyone. Um, I, I vote down ticket, you know, for Senator Portman, but for president, I did not vote for either Trump or Hillary or any of the other third party candidates. So, so you've had the I chance to sleep on that good. decision, Scott. What do you think? Was that was you're confident that was the right move for you? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, for reasons that you know, you and other folks have stated, I couldn't vote for Hillary. But I just there's nothing about Donald Trump that told me that I thought that he was the right guy to not only lead the Republican Party but also to lead the country. And I couldn't, you know, as much as I didn't like Hillary, I just thought that there was there was just nothing about Trump that could force me to push the ballot for him. You know, it's, I got to say, you're uh, you know, you're in a state where your your vote does matter, right? If we're going to take that sort of realist approach, I know no individual vote is going to really matter, but people in Ohio, Florida, I think they have a sense that 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 they they do have more of a say, or, or their say is more important. Each individual vote is a little is more important than it is in a place like New York. 
Um, have you heard, by the way, some of these ads? Have you heard the the nuclear uh, Columbus, Ohio getting, you know, Columbus, Ohio is a million people. A nuke could kill a million people. Don't vote for Trump ads. Have you heard some of that stuff on TV uh, or on radio? Okay. I haven't heard that ad, but other her, her other ads were, were pretty ridiculous, too, when it comes to the whole idea about, uh, you know, do you who, who do you want your president? I thought that was kind of interesting that she would say that. But, you know, at the end of the day, when I vote, it's someone that I have to have confidence in. And I just, from the be- you know, I tried to, from the beginning of the primary season all the way till now, I've tried to believe that if I vote for him and he gets in, that this is a guy that could lead the country. And I just, I could not bring myself to vote for him. Hey, man, I, I hear you. And as I've said to you, I'll tell you what I think, and I'll tell you all what I, what I, what I do, but I, I'm, not, I'm not telling anybody what, what their business is on this. This has been a tough one. Uh, Scott from Columbus, Ohio, great to have you call in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for calling Shields High. Denise from Montana, how you doing? Well, Buck, great. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for calling in. Well, you, your plea for I want Hillary to lose, and, and I do, and hopefully hundreds of millions also. But the satanic connection that's come out in the last few days, I don't know if you've seen it. And the About spirit the uh, spirit cooking? Yes, I believe. Now, it usually takes divine intervention for something as corrupt as we've got here, but I do believe it will take her down. I pray that it will take her down. So you I think that you, you think these revelations, including the spirit cooking, might be enough to change enough minds in America that Hillary yes. does not win? Yes, I do. Huh. Interesting. So let us let us pray. All right. All right. Here okay. you. All right. Den- Anything else, Denise? The show, Buck, by the way. Love the show. Oh, thank you so much, Denise. I appreciate that. Shields High, thank you for calling in. Uh, all right. 888-900-3393. I just, I don't, th- I don't know. I, I hope Denise is right. In that people have, they just their stomachs turn with the the Hillary stuff, and they won't be able to go for it. Enough people, right? We know it's not going to be everybody. It's not even going to be uh, a, a huge portion of Democrats. Just enough independents, enough swing voters, enough suburban moms with the minivan and the kids going to soccer practice who are going to stop by the polls and go one way or the other. Enough of them just say that the corrupt increasingly autocratic feeling that this government has uh, needs to be it needs to be chastened it needs to be reined in it needs to be punished uh, we'll see yeah, because tomorrow is either going to be the greatest affirmation for the elites in this country because it will prove that they are untouchable or it will be a complete repudiation of the elites more coming the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team, I want to get into a, a bunch of calls uh, because I want to know what you're thinking about tomorrow. I'm, I'm happy that it's going to be over. So that's putting me in a pretty good mood, all things considered, honestly, at this point. I'm, I'm just happy that this thing is going to be donezo and we'll know. I just want to know. I don't want to sit around and wade and I'm sick of all the political prognostication and all that stuff about who's going to win. I just, I would like to know what we're dealing with. You know what I mean? It's time. It is time. Pat in San Francisco, you're on the Bucks Action Show. Welcome. 
Yes, sir, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat, and I will be voting for Mr. Trump. Uh, I see Hillary as a national security threat. And if you think back um, to the Martha Stewart case, who was she was thrown in jail for some minor infraction on inside trading. And oh, no, she was thrown in jail for lying to the FBI about not actually insider trading, but she was so worried that she told them a lie, and they went after her and put her in jail for six months, I think. So you compare that, she in probation, she was on probation for many years afterwards. So you compare that to uh, Hillary's handling of classified material, the Espionage Act. Mr. Trump is right. Why was she allowed even to run for president, and why isn't she in, in jail or at least on probation? And secondly, uh, the Clintons have a history of technology transfers to our adversaries. In 1997, Bill Clinton allowed uh, Laurel rocket launch technology to the Chinese, which gave China a 20-year leap and uh, gave China parity with uh, U.S. capabilities in many circumstances. And uh, most recently, Hillary is involved in a technology transfer to the Russians, and uh, the FBI and the U.S. Army determined that that technology transfer established a dangerous pathway for Russian technological espionage. So there's lots and lots of national security reasons not to vote for the Clintons. God's sake, she was letting Anthony Weiner read her emails. What more can we say about that? Yeah. Hey, Pat, it's interesting. I think you're the first lifelong Democrat we've had Colin say he's voting for Trump, and I think your your case is... Uh, is is well heard by many here. Um, it's, you simply have to drill down into it, study the history, and you'll clearly in, see that the, the you know the, the the technology transfers should be bothersome to everybody because now that's weaponry that the United States taxpayer paid for billions of dollars. That weaponry is now pointed back at us. If we have to fight China, if we have to fight the Russians, and you know, there was an interesting uh, technology display by the Russians here not too long ago with uh, the Caliper cruise missile that was fired from the Black Sea into Syria. That had Laurel rocket launch technology written all over it. The telemetry that was collected from uh, those cruise missiles looked a lot like Laurel technology. Pat, are you a former? Uh, are you former military by any chance? I, I can't talk about that. Oh, okay. uh, sure. Secondly, yes, sir. Sorry. And secondly, um, if you paid attention to the North Koreans, they recently demonstrated submarine-launched ballistic missile technology. Where did that come from? That's, that had Laurel technology written all over it. So think about it, people. You know, we're paying billions of dollars for this technology to protect the United States, and the Clintons are handing it over. In the case of 1997, Bill Clinton handed that Laurel missile launch technology to the Chinese for a $50,000 campaign contribution. We paid billions of dollars for that missile launch technology, and he gave it away for a $50,000 campaign contribution. And now it's happening all over again with Hillary and the Clinton Foundation and the Russians, and she's establishing a pathway for technological transfer to the Russians for contributions to the Clinton Foundation. Please. Amen, Pat. I'm with, uh, look, I'm with you on all this. I think, I think the Clintons will sell anything to anyone for the right price. I don't think they it's care. It's a so. national security concern. And think about it. Uh, Hillary's on record indicating that she wants to return to the draft, and she wants to draft the girls. You, got, you know, you guys with, with uh, girls in your family, they're going to be out there fighting Hillary's wars. And this Laurel missile technology and the, the, this t technology transfer that she allowed with the Russians is going to be pointed right back at us. We're fighting ourselves, literally. We are, we are fighting our own technology. All right. Well, Pat, really interesting call. Thank you for giving us your time today and, uh, and Shields High. Appreciate it. Um, hey, 
You heard Pat make the case, lifelong Democrat. The Clintons are a national security risk. Uh, and Pat seems very knowledgeable. I think he, at a minimum, r- reads a lot. We'll just leave it there. Uh, Matt Welch joins us now. He is, of course, the editor-at-large of Reason Magazine, and his latest is on the collectivist election. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Reason Mag, at Matt Welch. Matt Welch, great to have you. I know you're in transit. Tell us some stuff. What's up, buddy? (laughs) I'm talking to you literally from the bathroom of the world's smallest airport. Oh, nice. Um, uh, Yeah, it's the San Luis Valley Regional Airport in Amarosa, Colorado, uh, elevation 7,954 feet. Uh, And I would be talking to you from the uh, waiting area, except it's about the size of a phone booth. And I would be rude to my other three passengers on the uh, plane that I'm going. uh, I'm going between uh, uh, Evan McMullen events and Gary Johnson events, uh, just so that I don't have to pay any attention to either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. So you're 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 now de facto for the day at least uh, our our special Evan McMullen and Gary Johnson correspondent uh, Matt Welch. What's what's AMA? The, ask me anything about yeah, those guys. I'm, what's I'm what's man. the what's the latest with those campaigns? Are they are they ready for this thing to be over? Are they hopeful? What are they saying? Uh, they're ready for this thing to be over. Uh, they've got uh the what i call campaign eye <laughs> which is if you've been uh, out covering campaigns you'll see uh the <clears throat> occasionally the candidates themselves but especially all the staffers around them have this glazed a uh, dead red look in their eyes that's nonetheless alert because they have to be they're just uh as gary johnson's daughter put it uh when i saw them in sacramento on friday they're up at three in the morning and they work until midnight that's just not that's not how you're going to maximize your brain function. Uh, and uh, so uh, they're all giddy and, and uh, they're detached from reality. I saw Johnson yesterday spend a good half hour talking about all the things he's going to do as president. And kind of at this point, that's it's just not very likely. Uh, I don't think, Buck, that he's going to be president. Uh, so uh, the, the McMillan people are really bullish on the opportunity to win Utah. The polls there however, have not been uh, as uh, uh, hopeful as they wanted. I, he, I think he's been in either second or third place, like at 25%, uh, but still second or third place in uh, all but one of the last dozen or so polls. Um, and he's trying to make the case that uh, that he's going. he and Mindy Finn, his, his uh, vice presidential nominee, are, are going to be right there making a new conservatism. And i got to tell you, his description of that new conservatism is something that I'm pretty sure Buck Sexton and many of his listeners would like very much. Uh, and uh, and I, I found it even uh, startling um, how uh, how much it resonated with me. It's kind of like Marco Rubio without quite as much hawkishness with a little dash of uh, Rand Paul and and uh, and the good Ted Cruz <laughs> in there, um, and uh, and a big big uh, focus on federalism, and on allowing states to go their own way, and uh, and and serve as laboratories for democracies, and cutting the size of government. A lot of good talk from uh, from Evan McMullen out there. Uh, sadly for him, there is no evidence that I have seen that he has been successful polling anywhere outside of places that Mormons live. So I think, uh, sadly, he's uh, for his sake, he's mostly still a Mormon phenomenon. And Gary Johnson, is he just excited that there's going to be the likely legalization of weed in, what is it, Massachusetts, California tomorrow? 
Uh, Massachusetts and California are the two most likely, but it's also on the ballot in Arizona and uh, two other states, Nevada, I believe. Uh, and there it's pulling at around five per, uh, 50%. Uh, so, yes, he is pumped up about that, as am I. And the idea that the, uh, the 99% of the war on drugs has been a war on marijuana just because people smoke a lot of pop. They don't do a lot of coke and heroin and stuff, although that's, the latter has been growing. Um, but still, it's, it's a marginal. So to when you, we're going to essentially quadruple the size of the country in terms of population that are going to live in states where it's recreationally legal to use marijuana. And I think that's a great thing. Uh, it just reduces the number of kind of needless interactions between the citizens and the police. The police can focus on stuff like murders and actual crimes uh, rather than uh, what people are doing consensually. Yeah. With and their I think it'll, it'll, also, it'll set the precedent that in those states when you don't have mass hysteria, dogs and cats living together, um, and and in fact, the moment that that the tax revenue from legal marijuana starts to look really appealing to various politicians, I think they'll yeah. they'll start to soften up and it'll put pressure at the federal level for the Congress to do something. And and uh, and at least, I mean, take it off of schedule one with the Controlled Substances Act alongside like, you know, cocaine and meth and all this other stuff. It, that would seem to be uh, that would seem to be a bit extreme if you're going to have some states that are saying, well, actually, we think this is not a problem. Yeah, in fact, uh, Hillary Clinton, who her whole career has been just an awful uh, drug warrior, she has one of the worst quotes you've ever heard about uh, uh, drug legalization, which is uh, actually two of the, of the worst quotes. One is that you can't legalize it because there's too much money in it, uh, which, I mean, just apply that to alcohol prohibition and Al Capone, and it, it kind of gets where you're, you're going. Uh, and, and then also uh, she indicated at some point that the violence in Mexico, the drug violence, was a sign that we we're winning the drug war, which uh, doesn't make any sense at all. But she's in a position just because the mood of the country. I mean, it's now polling at 60 percent, including a majority of Republicans now uh, are in favor of a recreational legalization. So she is saying that she will deschedule uh, marijuana, which is uh, kind of, you know unheard of territory for a, a nominee for uh, president over the last uh, certainly yours and my uh, adult lifetimes. So even though she's lousy on it, she's been feeling the pressure to go in the right direction. So there's that and a few other things. There's a, there will be reasons to uh, be happy about uh, come Wednesday, I think. So, so there's going to be some that. libertarian victories, just not with Gary Johnson. <laughs> I think that's well, fair to say. Well, you know what? Uh, uh, he's going to quadruple the previous record for the Libertarian Party. I think uh, there will be a pretty strong argument that um, – Barring whatever happens to the GOP, which is a huge question, of course, but the Libertarian Party is the third party in this country. I mean, it, it beats the snot out of the Green Party in states like Washington, you know, where you expect the Greens to be on every street corner. They're not. The Libertarians are out doing it, and they're not doing it because they have some kind of cult of personality, charismatic leader at the center of it. Uh, they're kind of doing it despite that. So. Um, I was talking to some activists, and I expected fully for the people to be kind of bitterly disappointed about his showing here. And I was talking to some yesterday, and they were they were turning that frown upside down and saying, look, we have all these new people in the party. We have all these conversations that we couldn't have before. Membership is up compared to other things. So, I, you know, it, it is – he's not going to win anything. He's not going to win any states. Evan McMullen really stole his thunder in Utah. Um, you know, he's uh, more than – uh, lost, lost more than half of his polling support in just two months. He had some high-profile gaffes. So there's all of that. But still, uh, it's easy to look at that and say, hey, you know what? That's actually a pretty great showing compared to what we usually get. 
Matt Welch is editor-in-chief of Reason Magazine. His latest is on the collectivist election, which we're going to have to have you back, Matt, to talk specifically about that piece because it sounds like something that's going to get me all excited. Follow Matt on Twitter, and uh, maybe we can get him back later on in the week even, or certainly next week. What do you say, Matt? Love to. Any old time. As long as You're I'm the man, in, dude. Uh, San Luis uh, Bay. Thanks, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy your flight, and uh, we'll talk after the election, my friend. Take care. Uh, 888-900-3393. Phone lines open. Uh, also, you can tweet at me at Buck Sexton. I haven't mentioned Twitter in a while, but people who do tweet during the show realize that I live tweet the show. I'll tweet right back at them a lot of the time. They're like, hey, what's up? I'm like, high five. They're like, oh my gosh, you're doing radio. I'm like, I know. That's how we roll. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton as well. I'll be uh, checking messages tonight, certainly before the debate uh, tomorrow. So uh, any thoughts on the show? Any thoughts on anything? You just want to pass along? Uh, you know, your 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 warmest uh, uh, whatever hugs and kisses. I don't know, whatever high fives for the gentleman. Um, all right, let's go to a break. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show. Tracy in Wyoming, you've been very kindly on hold for a bit. Thank you for staying with us. What's up? Shields, hi, Buck. Thanks so much for <clears throat> talking to me today. And Shields, hi, Tracy. I am a faithful podcast listener, and I wanted to also thank you for your shout-out and love for Wyoming. We don't always get that, so thank you. Of course. Thank you. Like most of Team Buck, I wasn't an initial, initial supporter of our nominee. And so my question for you is, for those that we are, we still kind of like, um, I really like Carly, I really like Ted, um, I'm wondering if you think the WikiLeaks leaks of emails from the DNC and the Clinton campaign will give us some insight on their opposition research into our favorite candidates. So you mean the sort of bigger lessons to take from WikiLeaks with regard to how the Democrats play the game against everybody? Is that is that kind of what you're asking me, or... Um... Just making sure I'm getting to the heart of the question. Yes, and maybe thinking the next time cycles come around for Ted Cruz, for Carly Fiorini, um, those candidates that we really like, are they going to have some kind of advantage knowing what the Democrats are going to be attacking the next time they run for office? Well, I think their advantage, and I don't mean to be glib here, Tracy, will be that they're not Donald Trump. And so there's there's a lot, you know, you're very unlikely to have a dozen men that are going to go on record and say, you know, Carly Fiorina was grabbing them or something. And the same for, you know, Rubio with, with women or any of the above. You know what I'm saying? I think that there's, I think that Trump, the oppo file on Trump was going to be huge no matter what. Uh, I think what has happened is that the media collusion that has been exposed on behalf of Hillary Clinton, that's going to linger. And that's going to change the way I think people think about who should host debates, how debates should be hosted, um, you know, what media coverage uh, would look like if it were actually fair and, and, and not, you know, tilted one side or the other. So that I think uh, the WikiLeaks has been very helpful in exposing that. Um, but again, WikiLeaks is, you know, a Russian intel front. So that's kind of scary. All right, Tracy from Wyoming. Great to have you on. Thank you for calling in. Team Buck Brief National Security Hour 3. It's all happening. Back in a few. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.
spreading freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome to Hour 3 in the Freedom Hut. We're going to have a Buck Brief on delay here because we're trying to get uh, get our guests lined up for that one. Um, so just give me a sec. I want to talk about something else. We might have to do an abrupt turn about. It's live. Oh, oh, wait, look at that. I, I, I spoke too soon. Do we have we, we have him? Is he locked and loaded? Is he ready for action? We can put him on the front line. He's good to go. Okay. Buck brief time. Hit it. You are entering the Blaze Threat Ops Center. This is a secure space. All outside comms are down. Prepare to receive the Buck Brief. Tom Rogan of National Review and also the McLaughlin Group joins us now. He's got a couple pieces up on National Review you should definitely check out. Tom, great to have you, sir. What's going on? Good to be with you, Buck. Thanks for having me on. So I want to start with, uh, usually we get into the uh, fight against the jihad and all that. We'll talk about that in a few moments. We've got some time. But first, very interesting because, you know, everyone's talking about Brexit and uh, and whether the polling right now in the U.S. will be sort of a similar story to what we have with Brexit where the polling for any number, you know, for a bunch of reasons was off in Brexit. I've heard people say even the, what was it, that the betting markets, which are London-based, sort of skewed a certain way and because of London's very much a remain place. Ever Anyway. Uh, a very interesting uh, court decision came down with regard to Brexit and the will of the British people. You've got a piece on NationalReview.com dealing with it. British judges defy British people. Tom, what is going on? Yeah, so basically what happened is that there was a case brought, uh, well, it wasn't brought last week, but it was decided on last week in, in the High Court in London, uh, which is essentially a federal uh, a federal level court. Uh, and the decision was that the, uh, even though the referendum that was held earlier this year in June uh, led to a situation in which the, the majority of voters said they wanted to leave the European Union, the court said uh, that the British government cannot affect that leaving, uh, that exit, unless Parliament uh, approves it. So it basically undercut the idea that a referendum puts popular power in the hands of the people. And the judges said, no, uh, the, the court has to, I'm sorry, the uh, parliament has to, to vote on that. And that's an issue uh, because there are a lot of members of parliament uh, who, who don't want to leave the European Union uh, and pro- potentially would vote down leaving uh, if they didn't get what they think is what's called a soft Brexit, which is to say a Brexit in which uh, free movement of people between the European Union and the UK uh, is retained. And this this has been met with with what in terms of response from the British people and in the in the British press? It seems like uh, this would be a pretty big slap in the face to the what is it seventeen million people that voted in favor of Brexit. Now the courts just saying, well, that was kind of just all for fun and games. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is that's the issue is that uh, that the court is essentially undercutting the democratically vested will of the people. I and mean, if you hold a referendum. That's the point I'm making. The whole purpose of it is to devolve a decision away from Parliament or the legislature and the executive uh, to the people. That happened. Uh, It's been done. No one, you know, the court said, well, because it didn't say in the Referendum Act, authorizing the referendum, that it was explicit uh, that that the referendum would be binding, it has to be construed as advisory. Uh, But, of course, that position requires the suspension of you know, the most basic democratic norm that is in a democracy, if you have a referendum, 
that is the outcome. Uh, so it, it creates a constitutional crisis uh, in the sense of whether power is vested uh, at, at the popular level through referendums or whether it, it is retained in terms of uh, parliamentary sovereignty. So it, it's going to be a big problem. I suspect what will happen uh, is that the, the, the British government uh, will... Um, you know, they're, they're trying to get overturned in the Supreme Court uh, in December uh, next month. So, if that, if that, if it is overturned, the decision, then then you know Brexit will be able to, to go along the way. If not, there's going to be big uh, parliamentary battles and negotiating uh, difficulties uh, next year. Do you have a, a theory or do you have some analysis on why the polling on Brexit? I mean, a lot of people that you see going on TV and such will, will point to the Brexit polling in the UK being off as, see, may, you know, developed English-speaking countries can make huge mistakes when it comes to – hello? We got in the wind tunnel for a second there. Uh, it can make huge mistakes when it comes to the – because I think uh, Brexit was – or Remain was up, what, like four or five points the day before or something like that. It was up a considerable margin, they thought, based on the on the polling – and that was clearly wrong. Um, what what do you think was the reasoning behind that, or how, how did that happen? I'm just well, curious. I, I actually think people have got this a little bit wrong. You know, I have a piece coming out tomorrow where I sort of talk about this. I actually the Brexit polling in the last two weeks was actually accurate. It did show a sizable shift, but the pollsters didn't believe it because it was a big shift. Uh, there were a lot of undecideds who eventually came down, and also as older voters turned out more, uh, and they were tended to be against. Um, or in favour of Brexit. The better example is the 2015 UK election for electing government. Uh, and in that case, you saw the polls about three to four percentage points at least off what actually happened. And I think that's the better example because the reason for that was uh, what's called the shy, the pollsters have since described it, the shy Tory syndrome, Tory being a, a shorthand for conservative voters. Uh, and a lot of conservative voters didn't want to tell the phone pollsters that they were voting conservative. Uh, the reason for that is that they were embarrassed to do so because there'd been a, uh, the, you know, the Labour Party, the Democratic equivalent, a waste of campaign saying that conservative politics were inherently immoral. So I think there is a potential here, a significant potential indeed, uh, that you will see, especially in states like Ohio, Pennsylvania, and perhaps even Michigan, where, where the blue-collar constituency that Trump is uh, popular with, uh, that, that that support base may be under uh, under regarded and that, for example, more women might vote for Trump. So it, it's it's certainly, you know, people don't sometimes if they're embarrassed, they don't want to express their honest opinion. So you get into the polling booth and then you're liberated to do that. We shall see. But it certainly is an interesting uh, an interesting thing to consider because it's exactly what happened in the 2015 election. And it gave the Conservative Party uh, a majority government, which no one expected. Uh, instead of a minority government, uh, which probably half, only half the pollsters expected. They thought the Labour Party might win. So it, it's, it is an issue that deserves and demands our attention. So it is possible for these, uh, for these, in these kinds of major political moments, uh, the, number, the number crunchers to get it wrong, and in some cases maybe to get it wrong just because they refuse to believe, you know, what do you, who you can believe, me or your lying eyes, right? So uh, maybe worth keeping in mind. And, and I know I'm going I'm to talk in a little bit about uh, one of your colleagues at National Review, or rather, I should say, somebody who's contributed to National Review, not a colleague per se, uh, talking about the polls. But let's move on, if we can, for a moment here to uh, two issues, one uh, current and one future. Uh, the effort to take back Mosul. We just want to update everybody on everything. Uh, what are we hearing in the last few days? Still proceeding with difficulty? What's, what's going on in taking back Mosul from the Islamic State, Tom? 
Well, you know, as we, you and I discussed, Buck, and, and you know, you made the point that this is a, a very dense, difficult city that the uh, Islamic State uh, was going to, you know, <laughs> essentially turn into to a death trap. That, that is happening. It, it's, it's the progress is slow. It will continue to be slow. Uh, and the, the, the question becomes, once we get into the real urban door-to-door fighting, how many casualties uh, does the Iraqi army take uh, in, in coordination with its allies, and how, for how long can they sustain that kind of operational tempo uh, with the pressure it will put in terms of their you know, supporting assets, uh, intelligence, logistics, etc.? Uh, and what political repercussions come if the Iraqi army uh, is getting very bloodied? You know, that, that will affect the consolidation of Prime Minister Abadi in Baghdad. The Iranians will use it to try and weaken him. So it, it's, a tough, uh, it's a tough situation at the moment. Um, and we just, you know, again, we just have to you know, wait and see. But, but the encirclement is sort of essentially complete now. But, but you know, that, that's the easy bit. The hard bit is going door to door. Now let's talk a bit about Raqqa. You've got a piece here on com. Taking Raqqa will be no easy task. Uh, you point out, as we just discussed, efforts to retake Mosul are underway, uh, but it is, in fact, not problem. The Syrian Democratic Forces Alliance has begun operations to seize Raqqa over on the Syrian side of things. What's going on there, and what do you see as, uh, as the future of the effort to retake Raqqa? Yeah, so the situation there is that, you know, this was announced um, yesterday, uh, that the um, that an alliance of Kurdish forces and the Syrian under the Syrian Democratic Front, which is essentially a Kurdish group called the YPG, uh, and elements of the former Free Syrian Army, a pro-American essential outfit, uh, is going to try and seize Raqqa. Uh, and you know it's a good thing, I think. Some people did Kyle Orton, who's a great uh, sort of uh, you know, thinker on this, uh, takes a different perspective, but is worth reading. People can you know find him on Twitter, but. Um, uh, from my opinion, it's a good thing that it puts pressure, obviously, uh, on ISIL senior leadership. Uh, it allow it constrains them uh, in terms of freedom of movement. If once the, the city is taken, um, it pressures them a, a, away from being able to you know, use Raqqa as a planning center, a command center for attack planning against the West in terms of like Paris-style plots. Um, and of course, it, it, it will ultimately, if the city is retaken, degrade that notion. Uh, that ISIS has so successfully applied that they are you know, an ordained force, that they've been able to survive all this power. Uh, if you take down their capital, you take down their flags, suddenly they look a lot less uh, impressive to those uh, you know, essential you know, losers or whatever that, that decide that they uh, are impressive. So that, that's another thing. And then the final point I was mentioning, which is important, is that I think it, uh, it will put pressure on the Russians and Assad because it will, if, if Aleppo... Um, if Raqqa is taken, uh, there will be essential, Aleppo will be the only government-held area uh, dividing uh, the rebels in the north uh, and the east from the other rebels in what's called Idlib province in western Syria. So you essentially have a contiguous line of control there uh, that would really degrade the Russians uh, and Assad's ability to to, you know, put pressure on the rebels, divide and conquer strategy that they're applying successfully at the moment. So you think that the how would you grade uh, the sort of progress of anti-ISIS efforts in Iraq and Syria collectively right now? I mean, it sounds like things are going slowly, but certainly in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, look, I think they're going in the right direction. They're going slowly, but but 
this is this is again we we have seen this, this idea of premature victory being declared. I, I think there is going to be some very bloody battles ahead. Uh, you saw Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, talking about the need to stand ground and fight. I'm sure Mosul, you know, that there's going to be a lot of uh, it's going to be a very bloody affair for the Iraqi army. Iraq are the same thing. They do not want to see these two cities. Uh, for the reasons we mentioned, uh, and they will fight very hard to retain them, and it, and it will cause casualties. And, and you know, unfortunately, it's probably going to cause um, some American casualties as well in terms of embedded special operations forces who are uh, directing airstrikes. Um, so it, it's going to be tough fighting. And, and then the final point, of course, is that, you know, the organization has its um, pledged groups around the world. It has its base of operations still in Libya, which is being degraded. But 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 this is this is a, an organisation that is going to be around for a long while. They still have their European terror cells, which remains a, a much bigger issue than people think. Uh, and so it, it's you know it's going to be a challenge for the long term. Tom Rogan is a writer for National Review and also a uh, contributor at the McLaughlin Group, a panelist at the McLaughlin Group. You can read his latest pieces on nationalreview.com and certainly follow him on Twitter. Mr. Rogan, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you for making time today before the election. Thank you very much. All right, team. Uh, phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. Uh, if you got any thoughts before we go into tomorrow, let's hear them. Otherwise, we'll talk to you about some interesting stuff, because that's what we do here in the hut. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Team lines are open, 888-900-3393. Uh, hmm, interesting. So I read this piece. I wanted to talk to you for a sec about polls. And there's a piece up by Henry Olson on National Review right now. He's a uh, adjunct professor at Villanova University and an uh, author of a book that's coming out on Reagan. And he says, look, uh, he's he's crunching the numbers, and he's saying that he thinks it's going to be close. He thinks this is going to be very close. He says, why I disagree with most national polls, my 2016 final predictions. This is up. It's the main story on National Review right now. Um, you've got Electoral College. He puts Clinton at 278 and Trump at 260. He thinks Clinton's going to win. He thinks it's going to be tight, though. He puts the Senate breakdown at 51 Republican, 49 Democrat. Uh, which I think if the Republicans escape with the majority intact, they should count their blessings. And uh, House breakdown of 237 Republicans, 198 Democrats. That's what he sees. Uh, he sees Trump closing because he thinks that the third party, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have Matt Welch on anymore, I was going to say, it's cause this would, Matt would, I'm sure, disagree with this notion, but we'll find out tomorrow. Um, that th- third party voting is over- always overstated in polls because people want to well, they want to think they're going to pull the trigger for a third party candidate. And then what ends up happening is they um, get into the uh, get into the voting booth and they decide that they're, in fact, going to vote for a candidate that could win or vote for the major party candidate, at least. Uh, so that's that's where you see he, he believes that uh, what you'll have. Is uh, all the, the sort of right now? I think Gary Johnson's got a couple percentage points, and 
Uh, Jill Stein's got like one percentage point. Isn't it interesting that the Green Party is really like the, it's sort of like the tree hugging communists? That's that's really what they are. Uh, but that those will get, that will be even less, and that the third party support and probably Evan McMullen, I assume, then too, third party candidate, third party support will dissipate on election day, and we transferred into the two major candidates primarily, and uh, that will mean that this thing tightens up, and it means that uh, if he's correct, Hillary Clinton's going to win, but she's going to win narrowly. I don't know what that means for the GOP, but um, I'd rather have a I'd rather have a clear Trump win or a clear Trump loss. That would be good. You know, a solid three or four percentage point margin loss one way or, or win one way would be better than like a one percent loss. I mean, if, if it turns into or whatever it would be for the Electoral College to be at this uh, this range that he has here, uh, 48 to 47 is what he has for the popular vote. Clinton over Trump. Not good. That would uh, that would be, I think, problematic on many levels. John in Atlanta, Georgia. What is up, sir? Hey, Buck. Love your show. I'm one of your podcast minions, so I never listen to it in real time. I love my podcast but, family. Uh, you're, you're all the same to me. I love you all equally, live listeners and podcasts. So thank you. And do both right. if you can. So I was thinking about it, and I know one of your favorite movies of all time is Braveheart. I was watching it last night, in fact. Yeah, go ahead. Perfect. So there's the scene where... Um, where William Wallace gets basically screwed over by the other clans and he's sitting there on the field fighting with the British and then he gives them the signal and he sees them on their horses kind of just turn away yep. because uh, because Longshanks has given them matching estates in England and all of that. Yeah, it's Lachlan and uh, Cray and, yeah, yeah, the other, the other Scots, yeah. Scottish so to nobles. To me, yeah. that's like the never-Trumpers and the establishment at this point is that he's out on the field doing battle with the liberals and calling out how corrupt Hillary is, and they're up on the hill and their little horses going, meh, you know, we don't want to upset <laughs> the media, and, you know, we, we don't want to upset uh, our contributors, et cetera, so we're just going to, you know, drive off and I mean ride off into the distance and just leave him there on the battlefield when if we just rode down there and helped him we might have a pretty good shot at this yeah well if you look at the if you look at the size of the actual never trump movement as a as a portion of the republican electorate it's it's very small uh, most republicans are going along with trump i mean otherwise he wouldn't even be competitive right so yeah a lot of people that didn't pull the lever for trump in the primary are willing to pull the lever for him now in the general uh, and that's and, me. Uh, and you, by the way, we're both those people. We're, yeah, I, mean, I didn't vote for him in the primary. I voted for Ted Cruz. I said I was on TV I pushing did, for Ted Cruz. I did too. Yeah, I thought Rubio would have been a great candidate, also. But it is what it is. I just, I just, I just, I wish the Republicans up on the hill with their little horses wouldn't would come down and join the fight. Because what's going to end up happening is Trump's going to show up in their bedroom in the middle of the night with a mace and crack their skull open. Uh, no. Take go go going going to the uh, taking the Braveheart analogy pretty far, but uh, John yeah, yeah. Shields Shields High Shields High, it's all right, buddy. Um, yeah, <laughs> people have nightmares about Trump showing up in their bedroom now. Don't worry, it's not going to happen. John, thanks for calling in, team. We got more coming up. Uh, a special announcement to make about a friend's show as well. The Bug Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
Sexton. Original Team Buck Squad will recall one of our uh, earliest friends on air, one of our earliest uh, supporters in this whole radio game. is a man we like to call affectionately the Godfather, not having anything to do with the Mafia boss, but in fact, Mitch from Old School. For those of you who are fond of that movie, I'm quite fond of it. Uh, he was looking out for his buddies, and uh, he was the Godfather of fraternity. And the radio fraternity that we started is Godfathered by the one and only Michael Pelka. He's been a good friend from the beginning, a great guy. We bring him on now because he has a special announcement to make. He's also at Stunt Brain on Twitter. Mr. Opelka, always great to have you, sir. Thank you for stopping by the hut. Thanks, Buck. Shields high. Hey. Shields high. Uh, or you know, testudo, as testudo. Some of the kids, as some of the kids say. Uh, Mike, yeah. what is the big announcement? We wanted you to make it yourself. Oh, well, thank you. Much appreciated. Big news. Starting this very evening, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, the weekend edition of Pure Opelka takes over a primetime slot on the Blaze Radio Network, and we will be 7 to 10 live nightly, Monday through Friday. So uh, we are launching into some new territory tonight, Buck. It's going to be a, an adventure for all of us. So we get three three hours of the one and only Mike Opelka nightly, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network, starting tonight, everybody. Just in time for the election, the Opelka rolls in like the Avengers to the rescue. Uh, Mike, let's talk election for a couple minutes here. Get a little preview of what you're going to be discussing tonight. Uh, just let's take it at the uh, 30,000 foot level. Your expectations for tomorrow are what, sir? Uh, I'd like to go back to Ghostbusters and say, you know, uh, dogs and cats living together, total mass hysteria. But I think I, we said that I in think... the last segment, actually. So we're getting a lot of Ghostbusters in today. All right, go ahead. <laughs> I think there's much more calm in the in the mix for us tomorrow than we anticipate. But I do see an unusual trend that not a whole lot of people are reporting, Buck, and I, I call them the, the NPA vote. And maybe you've talked about this earlier. The last thing I heard was Donald Trump coming into people's bedrooms at night with a mace. <laughs> clocking. Yeah, I, you, you'll notice I didn't, I didn't say that, but go ahead. <laughs> I know. I, I know, but it's a scary enough thing as it is, even without you voicing it. Uh, I'm talking about the no-party affiliation voter, and they are a substantial uh, a part of the electorate, and I think they're a wave. I think that we, we kind of saw them during the Perot era, you know, when my mother still blames me for giving us Bill Clinton for voting for Ross Perot. But the it was NPA, all your fault, Mike. It's all on your shoulders. I know. I know. A lot of this happened because of me. But the NPA votes, for example, in Florida, where... You know, you've got over 6 million people already voted in early voting, 2.55 from the Democratic side, 2.47 from the GOP side. So there's about 80,000 votes splitting them right now. But there's 1.25 or 1.23 NPAs who voted already. And I think that's where the, the real glimmer of hope lies for the Trumps. And they are they are out there. And does this mean that if the NPA vote is strong, unlike what you were just talking about, just pure third party voters, I think the NPA voter could make a big difference. And and Mike, uh, you know, where are you on this? I mean, we're, we're we're good buds. We talk a lot, but I don't think I've ever asked you. Are you, are you you're just never Hillary, right? Is that's what I'm that's what I'm the vibe I think I'm picking up here. Yeah, I'm a guy who still carries a constitution with him wherever I go. You know, so. I miss Ted Cruz in this election. But the only way to get a Ted Cruz involved is to make sure it is never Hillary. And that's kind of where I am. Uh, Evan McMullen, unless 
unless Trump and Hillary are stuck at 269 and the House of Representatives decides, you know, maybe we should give this 40-year-old guy from Utah a shot. Uh, that would have been a wonderful, magical thing, but it ain't happening. So I have to surrender, in a way, surrender my vote to uh, to Trump. And I do, and I, gosh, that's the first time I actually said that, Buck, to, in front of anybody. It's um, right. It's just you, me, and person. everyone listening across the country. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, and I do it, especially after last week. I, I traveled to Pennsylvania to hear Mike Pence speak. And if there ever were a vice president who was more presidential than either of the major candidates, it was Mike Pence. So uh, he, he really impressed me. And I guess I figure he would be a guardian somewhere inside the, the castle and try and keep things on track. I mean, he's he's straight out of for me. He, he's Romney-esque in that he's out of central casting for the guy that is in the White House and like the alien invasion movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, he is. He is that. When you see him, he is a presence, and he looks like you exactly like you said. If you wanted to draw him up on paper for a, a movie, it would be Mike Pence. And but he also speaks a lot of things that make sense to me. Yeah, no, well, I mean, look, he's, he was an interesting choice. Do you, by the way, do you believe that story that's out there that Christie was going to be the Veep, but then they knew that Bridgegate was going to come down hard and they decided, you know what, we just can't do it? I don't think it ever would have been uh, two guys from the Northeast. I think that would have been a, a bigger factor. They would have said these guys just don't know the flyover states. They're not in touch. And Pence is a grassroots guy. He's a Midwestern guy. And I think as as much fun as that might have been with those two in the White House, I, I don't think that would have ever gotten the uh, real consideration. So, no. But uh, can I tell you something about the new show? It may be the shortest. Yeah, of course. Of course. Maybe the shortest lived debut ever because we're going to be live tonight. And then tomorrow, you know, we have an election night special. And so I'm I'm preempted on my second night already. So this is it's getting kind of funny already. But I'm going to be inside Trump Central. I have a uh, a ticket to the actual event, not a press pass. I have a seat, a golden ticket at the uh, at the Trump campaign party. It, it'll either be fun or a funeral. I don't know which. So so tomorrow night you're going to be at the Trump campaign headquarters for the election, but then you'll be back on air the following night. Yeah, Wednesday. It's, so it's. It's uh, Monday night. We're preempted for election coverage, but I will be doing uh, either Skyped in messages or calls from right inside the HQ. All right. Wow, you're going to be there with the whole crew. So if if Trump does pull out the victory, they're going to be partying pure Opelka style over there. Yeah, it's going to be. <laughs> it promises to be one for the ages, if so. And I, I originally threatened to shave off the beard in order to get in, but uh, I, I've I've gone back on that, so I'm keeping the beard no matter what. All right, my friend. Michael Pelka, everybody. He is 7 to 10 on the Blaze Radio now five days a week, except for election night tomorrow, but five days a week going forward. Pure Opelka, the one and only, at StuntBrain on Twitter, the godfather. Great to have you, Mike. Congrats. We're very pleased to hear the news, and uh, the team is excited to join you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Uh, All right, 888-900-3393. We're going to be back in just a few. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network.
This is the Buck Sexton Show. So I'm looking at uh, some of the numbers in the early voting. I mean, look, this is just on the on the on the Drudge Report. So I got to just tell you that that it's on the Drudge Report. It used to be I, I wouldn't feel the need to preface that in quite that way, but now I have to say that's it's kind of where we are, everybody. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, Mitt Romney went into election. Oh, sorry. The data obtained by the Drudge Report shows presidential underdog Donald Trump outperforming Republican 2012 election results in Florida. Mitt Romney, according to Drudge here, went into election day down 161,000 in absentee ballots and early voting. He ended up losing the state by 74,000 votes. That's a pretty narrow margin. This time in a dramatic surprise twist. This is all in Drudge, on the main header, big page, the whole thing. Big, uh, big photo, rather. Uh, this time in a, dra- a dramatic surprise twist, Trump is only down 32,500, and Republicans tend to outvote Democrats on Election Day in Florida. So, okay, M- maybe, if, assuming these numbers are correct, and I don't think they would, I mean, I think Drudge would be foolish to put up fake, out, uh, fake early voting numbers, right, because those are verifiable one way or another. Um, but, you know, who knows? Uh, assuming these are correct, maybe it's looking, looking good right now for Trump in Florida going into tomorrow. Um, and Florida is key. It's, of course, it's not sufficient, but it's it's necessary. He's got to win Florida. But even if he wins Florida, he has by no means won the election. Right? He's got to win Ohio. He's probably going to lose Pennsylvania, and so then he's got to win North Carolina. And you know, the, you can we can discuss more about the pathways tomorrow for all of this. Uh, one thing that I will say as we go into this, and I got to say, I'm I'm feeling. I'm feeling pretty good overall about all this. Not not that I'm feeling good about the outcome. I'm just feeling good that it's it's going to be done. I've really not enjoyed, uh, and as, as somebody who makes a living, yeah, a lot of national security analysis, and we talk about other things too. But uh, politics is a big chunk, in just sort of day to day politics and the uh, the news cycle and how they interact. A big chunk of what we do here in the hut, and it has been rough, especially since Trump clinched the uh, the nomination. Uh, it has been rough. It has not been a fun election to talk about just because there's so much, so much, uh, you know, acrimony and uh, so much tension and quite honestly, so much nastiness from, well, the right, broadly termed, broadly speaking. So I'm glad that it's all going to be done. I'm really looking forward to it, actually. Uh, I'm, I feel like this is the dawning of a new chapter. I don't know if it's going to be a good chapter, but it's le- at least it's new. And to borrow from Churchill, at least it's the end of the beginning. Um, and we can get into something else now with whether Trump is the commander-in-chief or not. If it's Hillary, I think we all know what to expect, more or less, and how that will go. Uh, so I am I am pleased, in a sense, that we are, we're here. I feel, a, I feel a, a little bit of relief washing over me, and I hope you do as well, knowing that, you know, that it, just, it wasn't a fun conversation to be having anymore. Let's just see who wins, because if the if the Trump phenomenon turns out to be a failure, well, then we don't need to spend uh, the same amount of energy and time. And uh, and quite honestly, hopefully there'll be a a dampening of passions around Trump across the board if if Trump doesn't win. If he does win, I'll say this. Um, And and I think that this is uh, look at this point, everyone's just basing their assessments on the assessments other people have already put out there in terms of the numbers and the polling. I mean, I'm not doing polling myself, obviously. If he does win, it means Hillary loses, which makes me happy. And it also means that there will be 
for a few days. And I know we have to talk about what this means for the Republican Party. And, and there's a, a, a sort of bigger and uh, strategic conversation to be had about what a Trump victory would mean tomorrow. Uh, but if he does win, we can at least all sit around and savor that the media is going to completely lose their minds for for weeks, for weeks. They are just going to freak out. And I know that this isn't a reason necessarily to vote for somebody. And maybe I'm taking too much pleasure in all of this uh, or at least too much pleasure in this prospect. But there will be a collective freak out in the media that will dwarf anything we have ever seen in our lifetimes, I think, honestly, uh, in terms of politics. It will be, for them, I think, a bigger slap in the face even than they took the 2000 election to be, when, which they still believe that you know, was stolen from Alan Gore. Every recount ever done, every analysis ever done shows that Bush won Florida, but yet still they think that it was stolen from Al Gore. Uh, that Al Gore was almost president of the United States should also give us all a moment of pause. Maybe nothing that's happened this year is as surprising as we seem to think it is, because that guy? Really? That guy? Uh, but I, I look at this now, and I just, there will be, we can take that moment of joy. There will be that complete panic and the pandemonium that will run through newsrooms across the country if Donald Trump wins uh, will at least soften the blow of now we also have to deal with him on a policy level. Now we also have to discuss uh, what the future of Trumpism is, and, and it's going to be a, a difficult road ahead for the Republican Party, even with the Republican nominee as the victor and as the next commander in chief. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of fighting over how that ship is steered, where it goes and what it does. Um, but we can handle that in the short term between now and when Obama steps down from office. There will be some really fun stuff. I mean, they will be wargaming out uh, what a post apocalyptic world looks like after Trump, you know, day 60 or something. I mean, they are going to completely, uh, completely lose it. And given what we've seen with the media collusion and all of the stuff that's been happening with. Uh, the, just the dishonesty and the lack of ethic, lack of professional ethics that's been on display with this media. It will be it would be fun, man. It would be a sight to see. I, I think there will be stories about very veteran uh, journalists in tears, male, female, you name it. I, I think they'll I think they'll be crying if Trump wins. Uh, and I look, I'm not somebody real tears. I feel sympathy for. Right. I mean, when someone has a true loss or something and I get that. But, you know, your political candidate loses like I don't, I don't think you should be crying. Uh, just my, just my take, uh, you know, I mean, if you weep, at least weep for America, but don't, don't weep because, you know, you're, you know, I was ready for Hillary or I was, you know, oh my gosh. Uh, I think you can expect some of that. Uh, that's the, the big upside. By the way, there will not be, according to the latest I see here on TMZ, there will not be a Hillary fireworks celebration in New York City if she wins. They had planned that. They had already staged it. They were get, they had to ask the Coast Guard for permission and I would be able to see that from my rooftop here. I guess I would have at least forced myself to go up and take a look at the Hillary fireworks just as a point of reference. They decided not to do it. Um, the Hillary celebration is going to be the Jacob Javits Convention Center here in New York City if she wins. Uh, it's interesting. Isn't it? Both the Trump, both the headquarters are here in New York. So New York is going to be at the epicenter of this whole phenomenon. New York City is going to be where the action is tomorrow night when the when the results come in. And this place is probably going to erupt. Um, I think it's going to erupt either way. I'm just trying to imagine in my head the this uh, sights and sounds on the streets of the city 
tomorrow night when the final results, assuming they're all tallied tomorrow night, and I think they will be. Um, this place could get pretty wild, everybody. So I'll uh, be giving you updates as much as I can, and I'm looking forward to having you with me here in the hut tomorrow and uh, as much as you can join me tomorrow night. Until then, my friends, as always, shield tie. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.